0: morning. And this isn't the right screen here. Let me get it going here for you. Alright. Let's see here. Alright. Maybe that will do it there. There you go. And there's a reading if you want to read it, but you all had it memorized, so that was no trouble there. But thank you, Jenna, for um, for that reading. So, uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you that we can come before you now. And we do want to praise your name. We thank you that we can learn more of your son. We thank you for your word, and we thank, thank you for the word, Jesus Christ our Lord. I pray that your spirit will be upon us today. I pray that your spirit will be moving and that hearts will be made tender for, to be changed by your word and by the person of Jesus Christ, Father. I pray that your hand will be upon me, that the words I speak may be, may be from you, Father, and that I may have clarity of mind and clarity of speech. We pray all this in the precious name. So last week um, you, uh, Matt Franchetti um, spoke to us on um, some of the trials of Jesus. And don't be too at the very bottom of this, you'll see where we are now. Uh, Matt talked about those trials before and down there we'll Pilate and kind of want to see where we are on Passion Week. We're now at Friday morning in our study of Luke, and we're going to continue to preach on uh, the gospel according to Luke. And this is Luke 23. So, do you remember what... Oh, it's turned on. It's on green. Right there. It's not on at all, but... Okay. All right. Now, can you hear me? Okay. All right. So, we continue on the Gospel according to Luke, Luke 23. Um, do you remember the title of Matt's sermon last week? God in the Dock, very good. Yes, well, this this is God in the Dock dark, dark Part 2. God in the Dock Part 2. But we're going, to, we're going to notice that things sort of change this week. Um, last week, you know, the focus was on Jesus, and you don't really hear much about those that were sort of persecuting him or prosecuting him. This week, actually, God's Word gives us a good bit of insight into these men. And so we're actually going to look a little bit more at how people were responding to Jesus. Not so much as Jesus in the Dock, but in some respects... We're in the dock, and what we want to look at today is how do we see Jesus. So how do we see Jesus? Um, what is your vision of Jesus? What do you think of Jesus? Um, for our time today, we're going to look at the story, of course, in God's Word. We're going to look at a couple of the main characters um, and how they saw Jesus. And at the same time, we want to look at how we, can, how we consider Jesus. And we're going to finish with the treasure. Hey, Josh. So um, there's an outline in the back of your bulletin if you want to use that. And uh, if you want to have your Bibles out again, I'm now just going to kind of run through the, the story. I'm not going to read it again, but let me just run through this to make sure that we are all on the same page here. So last week, Jesus had been before the Sanhedrin. As Matt pointed out, that was a group of 70 men, and the high priest was 71. And they had been trying Jesus, and they decided that he had committed the sin of blasphemy. Kind of hard for God to blaspheme himself. But nonetheless, they said he committed the sin of blasphemy, therefore he should die. They want to kill him. Okay. However, as Matt mentioned last week, um, they didn't have the power to crucify um, or to commit or for capital punishment. So they had to go to the Romans for that. So that's where we pick up today. So today we pick up this whole assembly of Rose and took them off to Pilate. Well, that's the first person we meet is Pilate. Who is Pilate? Well, he's a Roman governor. Pilate actually was born in Seville, Spain. Scott and I and Katie and my daughter have been to Seville. It's a lovely place. Um, that's where Pilate was actually from. He had been a lifelong uh, army guy. He was a tough guy. He had been known as a tough commander. He's also well-connected. He had married Caesar's granddaughter. <laughs> so, uh, so he gets his position in Judea to rule there. And so that's who they bring him to. And so they change their charges, if you'll notice there. They had been saying blasphemy, but once they go to Pilate, we know that wouldn't stick. So they say, ah, oh, he tells us not to pay taxes, and he's talking about being a king. As you well know, and we've already talked about this in in Luke, Jesus said, pay to Caesar that which is Caesar's and that which is God, that which is God's. And we also know, he says, his kingdom is not of this world. So those were obviously bogus charges. But nonetheless, that's what they bring before Pilate. So Pilate talks to him. Um, He he interviews him. He talks with him and basically says, he's innocent. Number one, he's innocent. So he goes back to the, uh, the Sanhedrin and says, he's innocent. We'll let him go. They freak out. They scream and yell. They say he's been spreading this all over, even in Galilee. So Pilate, his eyes perk up there, and his ears perk up. He's from Galilee. Jesus is from Galilee. He hears, and Pilate, uh, this is a lose-lose situation for him. This thing with Jesus. Pilate's already on thin ice. He's had some. He's had some rough dealings with the Jews over the years. He's being watched closely from Rome. His job's a little bit on the line. He just wants off the hook here. So what he does is he takes. He takes Jesus. Um, over to um, Herod. Herod's in town. Herod, this is Herod um, Antipas. This is Herod, um, uh, who was the, grand, the son of Herod the Great. Herod is over Galilee region. That's um, over the sort of Judea Jerusalem region. But Herod's in town for the Passover. Herod has some background in Judaism. He kind of considered him a Jew, himself a Jew, but he really wasn't. Uh, he knew that he knew the area. He knew the customs. Um, so. Pilate sends him to Herod and he's going to let Herod judge him and then Pilate will be off the hook. So Jesus goes over to Herod. They take him over there and Herod's actually glad to see him. She, um, Herod is clearly from that area. He's heard of Jesus. Um, he also, as you remember, knew John the Baptist. Um, Herod had talked with John the Baptist a lot, had ultimately imprisoned him and killed him, as you remember, but nonetheless knew his teaching and he certainly had heard of Jesus and he was glad to see Jesus, the word says here. He was glad to see him and he talked to him for a long time. However, and he wanted Jesus to basically to perform, do a sign for him. He wanted Jesus to do a miracle for him. He wanted Jesus to, you know, be his, you know, his his act there and do something cool. Jesus won't even talk to him, much less do anything cool or miraculous. And so what is how does how does Herod respond? Well, he sends him to his men to ridicule him and to mock him. He sends him back to Pilate. So he goes back to Pilate. Um, we're, we're back with Pilate and, um, and Pilate talks to him again Pilate um, uh, interviews him and talks with him more and basically says for a second time, it will continue on this way I don't find anything wrong with this man um, however you see a turn here, verse 16 therefore I will punish him and release him now if the Romans were into anything one thing they're into is a proper justice system a proper justice system he said twice already he's innocent He's gonna beat him, (laughs) so we see him start to compromise. He says, "Okay, all right, you don't like this guy. There's nothing wrong with him, but let me beat him up real good, and then I'll release him." That's not good enough for them. They want him dead. They want him dead. So they scream and yell some more, and then there comes about this thing with a third guy, Barabbas. It was this thing about Barabbas. The way with this man released Barabbas. What's going on there? Here is: is over the Passover during the Passover feast, the Romans would release a criminal. They would release somebody, presumably a criminal, uh, in their custody as part of a goodwill gesture to the people during this sort of festive time. So there's this other guy who happened to be in for, what do they say, insurrection in the city and for murder. And basically, the pilot says, you know, I'm going to release Jesus. They say, no, release this Barabbas. And then Pilate says, what do I do with this Jesus? Crucify him, crucify him. Now, for the third time he spoke to them, the third time he says he's innocent. However, they yell and they scream. And then we know what happens here is Barabbas goes free. Jesus goes off to probably Barabbas' cross for a hideous death. And that's where our story ends today. So, let's now talk about the people. um, And we want to see, you know, what they saw of Jesus. How they viewed Jesus. The first person, Pilate. We've talked about him briefly. He's a soldier. He's a tough guy, well-connected. And he clearly saw something in Jesus. I mean, he's really trying to get this guy off. Um, And the best thing for Pilate would have been to do whatever the Jews wanted from the start because he already had a rough time with him. But no, there's something about Jesus' interaction with him that really turns Pilate towards him, or at least he's something different in him. But as we already talked about, he begins to compromise. He begins to compromise. Pilate wants to be neutral in regards to Jesus. He says, okay, you don't like this guy. I know he does not deserve death, but I'll split the difference with you. I'll beat him up and let him go. That didn't work for Pilate, and it will not work for us today. You can't be neutral with Jesus. Let's see what Jesus said about himself. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's quite a statement many certainly in our culture would say that this statement is both arrogant and exclusive but it gets worse if you think that um, here's a here's a statement from a pastor in New York Tim Keller and this is how he says this, he says this sums up Jesus's claims about himself quote Jesus claimed to be able to forgive sins and the religious leaders called that blasphemy but Jesus goes on to make a claim so outrageous that the leaders don't have a word for it Jesus declares not That he's come to reform religion, but he's here to end religion and replace it with himself. End religion and replace it with himself. Does that statement sound outrageous to you? Consider Jesus did not say he was here to speak for God. Jesus said he was God. Jesus did not say he was here to show us the way to God. He said he is the way to God. Here's another statement of Jesus. This is talking about Jesus. Whoever believes in him, that's Jesus, is not condemned... But whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So according to this verse here, according to Jesus, your ultimate destiny, whether you'll spend it in eternity with God, in all wonder and amazement, or in hell, separated from God, depends upon what you think of Jesus, how you handle Jesus. Here's a long quote, but it's from C.S. Lewis. I had to keep up with Matt from last week. He's not even here. Where are you, Matt? I mean, come on. All right. Okay. So I'll have him listen to it on the thing. By the way, you can listen to these sermons again. I probably mentioned that before. And I did listen to Matt's a couple times this week. So this is a quote from C.S. Lewis. I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That's Jesus. He's referring to Jesus. Quote, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But Let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The Bible does not allow you to compromise when it comes to Jesus and who he is and what he claimed to do. He was either a lunatic, a liar, or our Lord. There's no other choice. What is he to you today? What does Jesus To you today. Let's look at the next person we come across and see about his interaction with Jesus. We come to Herod next. This is King Herod. We talked about him some. Um, He he's not really like Pilate. Pilate was a Roman heathen, um, you know, believed in all kinds of gods and stuff. Herod had grown up in the area. He kind of was connected with the Jewish people. He was a bit of an insider. He knew their laws and customs. He was glad to see Jesus. He had been wanting to see Jesus. But why? He wanted a magic trick or something. Herod wanted something exciting, a great act from Jesus. I think Herod is a lot like us today when we say, Well, God, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately? We may know truth about God. We may even admit that God has done much for us, but we want something more from him. We, want, we don't want God, we want his stuff. We don't want Jesus, we want his stuff. I think we're a lot like Herod when we look at our lives or some event or circumstance and things that did not go quite as we wanted or expected. We actually harbor some bitterness or anger towards God. God, I asked you or desired such and such and you didn't give it to me. God is simply a means to an end. Is Jesus simply your means to an end? Jesus, give me something, do something for me. The last person we're going to look at today is Barabbas. Barabbas, last character in our story. We have to put ourselves in his sandals a bit, though, if you really want to get an idea of what he thought of Jesus. Barabbas was sentenced to death. Whose, do you, whose cross do you think the middle one was anyway? That was for Barabbas. Barabbas. Barabbas had committed murder. Barabbas had committed insurrection. That's probably what really got him the death sentence from the Romans. So he's sitting in his cell. It was probably some dump of a hole there. There's probably rats scurrying around and whatnot. He hasn't probably seen the lie of the day for a month. And all of a sudden, he hears those Roman sandals coming down the stone hall. They had these metal things on the bottom, so they probably heard them from 20 feet away or more. Here they're coming. He knows his time is about to come. He hears the creak on the lock, and the door swings open. He goes, I'm done. <laughs> you know, I'm going to die today. It's going to be bad. I'm going to die on a cross. He's seen it before. Some of his buddies probably went that way. So they go out, but instead of heading down the dirt hole out, to the, out of the city where he'll die, he starts seeing it had a different way where it gets nicer and nicer the farther he goes along. He's heading toward the area where the forums take place. So he comes out into the light, and he's blinking in the stuff he can't even hardly see. But across the way, he sees, of all people, he sees Pilate. He sees Pilate. And he sees Pilate him from, bring him over here. You know, Pilate's in a bind here. Bring him on over here. So here he's standing by Pilate, and he looks over, and he sees this other guy, <clears throat> beaten and bruised. But it's like he's running a show, the other guy there. He's calm, and he's cool. And all of a sudden, he sees what's going on. This whole, he knows the story about the Passover and a release. And he's going, pilot's going, which one? And Barabbas, Barabbas says, this is a no-brainer. I've heard of Jesus. He's this rabbi who's done good things. He's healed people. He's a teacher. He's a rabbi. This is a no-brainer. I'm still toast. But all of a sudden, he hears, release Barabbas, release Barabbas, release Barabbas. And Pilate seems to bite. Seems to go, okay, what do I want me to do with this Jesus guy? Put him on Barabbas' cross. Yep. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Barabbas knows that he should be hung naked in shame and agony on that cross. Utterly forsaken. Broken and bleeding, dying alone. But Barabbas goes free. A free man, no longer condemned. And Jesus goes to Barabbas' cross. If you're here today and you've never seen what Jesus did for you, as he did for Barabbas, then see it today. Jesus took Barabbas' cross. Jesus took Barabbas' evil deeds and sin on himself. And Barabbas was freed as an innocent man. Jesus did the same thing for you and me. Second Corinthians 5.21 God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him, that's in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange occurred. Your sin for Jesus' righteousness. Jesus takes your sin, gives you his righteousness. Next thing we see that Jesus did for Barabbas is, if you look at Barabbas' name, it means son of the father. Barabbas means son of the father. On the cross, Jesus humbled himself, dying in shame. Giving up his position as son of the Father while Barabbas could continue on to be son of the Father. It's the same for you today. John 1.12. This is talking about Jesus now. But all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be children of God. He gave the right to be children of God. You can be a son or a daughter of God because of Jesus losing his sonship for you on that cross. Barabbas saw Jesus giving up his life so that Barabbas could go on living. So it is with you and me today. A very well-known verse, I would think. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that gave, he gave his son over to death. That whoever believes in him, Jesus, should not perish but have eternal life. On the cross, Jesus' relationship with God was broken. The perfect fellowship that Jesus had known with God from all eternity was snapped. So that you could be with God in fellowship with Him as your son and daughter, as His son and daughter, forever, forever. Barabbas saw Jesus as his savior, pretty concrete. But we have no indication that it, that Jesus ever, for Him, Jesus ever went beyond anything but get, but Jesus, but Him being a get out of jail free card. Barabbas, as far as we know, never saw Jesus as anything more. Than his get out of jail free card. For those of you sitting here today and you say, Jesus is my Savior, I have a question for you. Is Jesus only your get out of hell free card? Is he only your get out of hell free card? Or is Jesus your treasure? Is Jesus your treasure? As Pastor Tim noted in a sermon uh, back in, on prayer back in September, he gave credit to Pastor John Piper from Minnesota and his book, Desiring God. I do the same now as we discuss Jesus as our treasure. First, I want you to know one thing, very important, that the first person I'm speaking to in this room about this is not you. It's about it's me. I'm talking to me. Is Jesus my treasure? Is Jesus glorious? Is he beautiful to me? Is he more valuable or more important than anything in life? And is he more desired than anything you would give up in death? How do you see Jesus? What is your vision of Jesus? Now, I'm going to try this here. I'm going to read you a hymn uh, that um, Ben signed for us. Thank you. I didn't get through it with dry eyes before. The fact that, you know, the chances of me reading this and getting through this with dry eyes are low. But hang in there, and as we read this, I want you to think about, do you see Jesus? Is he your vision of your heart? Is he your treasure? Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy present my light. Be thou my wisdom, and thou my true word, I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, and I thy true Son. Thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of of heaven, my treasure thou art. High King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's son, Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, a ruler of all. Is Jesus your treasure? I already mentioned that much of what I'm discussing now comes from John Piper and his book Desiring God. Well, now this is from a sermon of his entitled, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I quote, Matthew 13, 44 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. This is John Piper. Becoming a Christian not only means believing truth, it means finding a treasure. A treasure that is more valuable than everything you have. End quote. Is Jesus your treasure? Maybe you're like me, and the answer is Maybe. I think so. I hope so. Let's investigate that a little bit. Is Jesus your treasure? When you think something that is great or beautiful or worthwhile, what do you do with it? You praise it. You tell others about it. You want to bring attention to it. All right, so the Eagles, for instance, okay? You're an Eagles fan. You wear their clothing. You have names of people on the back of your shirt and stuff. You talk about great plays. You talk about how things are going to go. You praise them. What about natural beauty? That's a little bit easier for me. A great sunset, a great vista with some mountains and stuff. You want others to see it with you. You praise it. You want to bring attention to it. How about a song? A great song you've heard. Um, You may post it, right? You post it or something, right? Online or something like that. What do you guys do? You post songs? You post songs? Okay, pictures of something, you post it. Um, Or you can do like my wife does. She watches these puppy things. Is it a blog or whatever? I don't know what it is. There's these pictures of these little puppies. They're, they're dogs. I'm like, I like dogs. I got a dog. I pet her and stuff. Okay? Um, but my wife's always wanting us to look at these, these postings. And we gotta we go, yeah, 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 yeah. She's praising the puppies. We praise these things. We find them beautiful or full of significance. Do you want to show Jesus to others? Does Jesus occupy your thinking? Does the truth of Jesus change what you do? Philippians 1, 20, This is Paul saying, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Again, from John Piper, God is, in a sermon, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. Quote, Paul says that his great passion in life, I hope it's your great passion in life, is that in this life Christ would be seen as great, supremely great. That is why God created us and saved us. Thank you, Luke. To make Christ look like what he really is, supremely great. Or to sum up, Christ is glorified in you when he's more precious to you than all that life can give and all that death can take. Okay, like me, you may be saying, Mike, I see Jesus as my Savior, like Barabbas. Jesus took my place, my death, my shame, my alienation, and I want to see him as my treasure. I want Christ to be more precious to me than all that life can give and all that death can take. But how can I do this? You can't. I can't. And this hymn writer acknowledges the same thing. Oh, to grace how great a debtor, daily I am constrained to be. Let grace now like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Throw yourself into the lap of the one who can enable you to treasure Jesus by filling you with his Holy Spirit. What does the Spirit do? He, this is Jesus talking, he, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me. Where he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What does the Spirit do? He shows you how wonderful Jesus is. But most most importantly, he takes what you know in your head and he moves it to your heart. So you may be saying, that's great, Mike. I know all this stuff, but I still struggle. Good. Struggle, fight every day. We're talking about the most important thing you'll ever do, which is seek to have Jesus as your treasure. But you'll falter. I do. And then what? Well, do the same thing. You go to Jesus. I may not get through this part either. Um, this is one of my favorite stories from Scripture. This is Mark 9. It's partly because I have a son who is both mute and... He can make noise, but he can't talk. And he has convulsions, so I can kind of relate. But even more so, I can relate to this dad. So this is his dad talking. Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into the fire and water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And I I love this response. And Jesus said to him, if you can, if I can, all things are possible for all those who believe. And again, this is what I can relate to. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe and help my unbelief. Well, I brought my son to Jesus for healing. Jesus took him. And he held him. And he says, Mike, looks just like looks just how I want him right now for my kingdom. But you know who got healed when I brought my son to Jesus? It was me. It was me. So you go to him, you humbly go to him and say, I believe, help my unbelief. Hebrews four, fifteen and sixteen. A high priest is who brings you to God. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. This is the kind of Savior, Lord, elder brother, friend, and lover of our souls that we have. Go to him every day. Take up that fight to make Jesus your treasure. He's the only treasure worth having in life and in death. Don't settle for lesser things than Jesus. You probably possibly heard this quote from C.S. Lewis as well. Pastor Tim used it a few months back. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily be, too easily pleased. Don't settle for anything less than Jesus. Don't mess around with having a good reputation, with satisfaction from food or drink or material things or pornography or money. Don't be satisfied with being a good person. And don't be satisfied with a Savior that just gets you off the hook. Don't be satisfied with anything less than Jesus is your treasure. And that Christ is more precious to you than all that life can give or all that death can take. How do you see Jesus? Are you like Pilate? Intrigued about Jesus but willing to compromise? You want to be neutral in regards to Jesus? You can't. He will not let you. Are you like Herod? You know Jesus. You believe in him. But what has he done? But but has he not done what you wanted him to do? Or you wonder? What have you done for me lately? How about Barabbas? You say, Jesus is my Savior. But if you look carefully into your heart, Jesus is only your get-out-of-hell-free card. Or, is Jesus your treasure? Seek Jesus as your treasure, that he's more precious to you than all that life can give and all that death can take. Go to Jesus. Tell him, I believe. Help my unbelief. He's a loving and precious high priest. He'll understand. He'll take you. He'll heal you. I'm going to close now with another famous quote. You probably heard it already last week. This is how Matt Franchetti closed his sermon. So I'll call Matt and get on his case. Tell him to listen to my sermon. All right? Actually, he closed the sermon this way. He challenged us that as we think and hear about Jesus as we go through this Easter season, As we hear about Jesus in his last days on earth, the shame and humiliation leading up to Easter, he said, I want you to see the Father's love for you running through these events. Don't despair, but take it all in. Thanking God for his mercy and the gift of his Son, who he did not spare, but gladly gave up up for us all. Amen.